Father, I pray that you would not leave us to ourselves now in this room, because if we were left to ourselves, nothing of any eternal significance would happen. And I come longing for deep, lasting, indeed eternal changes to happen, people to move out of death into life like we've been singing, out of darkness into light, out of a wasted life into a unwasted life. So don't leave us now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and help me to be faithful to your word. Speak in the power of the Spirit and grant ears to hear, hearts to believe. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I would like to do now in our time together is persuade you or at least open you to the truth that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. That's the sentence that you will hear over and over again. It is better to lose your life than to waste it. That was uh, 17 years ago in, uh, at one day, and I remember saying in that talk, as I looked, looked out on about 30,000 students spread out across the, the hills, I felt for the first time I was 50, uh, 54, and as I, as I looked out across them, I felt for the first time in a, in a big student gathering, I'm old enough to be your dad. Now, <laughs> my oldest granddaughter started college this fall, and I look out at you and I say, I say I'm old enough to be your grandfather, which has this effect on me. There's, there's another generation's worth of weight behind my longing for you and my plea not to waste your life. So that's what I'm here for, is to persuade you, open you to the truth that it's better to lose your life than to waste it. Now, here's another thing I, I would not have said 17 years ago. If you have a Bible on your phone, you might want to open it. Uh, I, don't, I don't assume you carry Bibles around on Friday night, but I do assume you carry phones around. And if you don't have a Bible on it, shame on you. <laughs> They're free. What else would you use a phone for? We're going to Acts chapter 20, and uh, let me give you a little background and then show you the paragraph where I'm going to draw all my points that I hope God will use to shape the rest of your life. We're in uh, Miletus, which is about 20 miles south of Ephesus. Paul had spent three years of his life, longer than he spent anywhere else, as far as we know, ministering to the people at Ephesus. He had left and gone over to Corinth to spend the winter. Now he's hastening to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost, and he's in such a hurry that he knows if he stops in Ephesus to talk to the whole church, he'll be consumed. And so, he wants at least to speak to the leaders of the church, so he, he puts in 
at Miletus, a little south of Ephesus, and he sends word to the church in Ephesus whom he loves very much, and he calls the elders down, and he gives them the talk that's found here in Acts chapter 20. It's a very moving scene. Here's why. You get to the end of it, verses 37 and 38. There was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Now, when I hear a pastor address his people for the last time, I listen. If I hear a dad, old and dying, gather his family around and address them for one last time, I am listening. Because what I expect to hear is not only something that comes unfathomably from the heart, but something that probably captures what I've wanted all my life. What this pastor has all been about or what this fathering has all been about, that's what I, that's what I listen for and that's, that's what I'm listening for when I read this section of Acts chapter 20. This is a very special text to me. I've, I've come back to verse 24 many times over my life and every time I come back, It has the effect of making me want to sell everything and be a very radical Christian. Do something crazy. Go somewhere nobody expects me to go. Just utterly sell out to do something strange and wonderful that would make people say, whoa, that's weird. That's the effect that verse... 24 has on me. It makes me want to be utterly out of step with the American dream, the one that 17 years ago I pleaded with students not to buy. Don't buy it. And when I read this verse 24, that's the effect it has on me. It makes me want to stand on the the housetops of every city in America and say, don't buy it. Everybody is trying to get you to buy this dream about your life and its end don't, don't buy it. Go to X 20 and let Paul say something else. So let me read verses 22 to 25, and then we'll focus in on verse 24. Now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Here's verse 24. But I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So my summary of these four verses is better to lose your life than to waste it. 
So let me read verse 24 again, and you listen carefully and say, okay, is that a good summary? Is that a fair restatement of verse 24? And let me just say methodologically here how I think you should listen to me. I think you should listen thinking like this. If he can't show me in the Bible the points he's making, there's no warrant that I should believe what he says. Okay, that's my disposition coming to you. I'm not asking you to believe anything John Piper believes. I am asking you to take really seriously if I can show you in the Bible that what I'm saying is true. So now the first test that you face is, is the sentence, it is better to lose your life than to waste it, a good paraphrase of verse 24. So let me read it again for those of you who don't, don't have your Bible in front of you. I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't count my life of any value or as precious except for one thing. I've been given a ministry to perform and a race to run. And that's why I live. And when that's over, I'm over. Until I'm not over, that's not over. And that's why I live. So run the race, don't stop, don't leave the course, don't go backward. If you do, your life is wasted. I do not count my life of any value, but for this one thing, isn't that saying, better to be faithful and die than unfaithful and live. Better to lose your life than to waste it. My goal in life is not to stay alive. My goal in life is to stay on course. And if I'm off, I'm gone. That's, that's my understanding of verse 24. He's gonna say it again in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So one of those things that Paul counts as rubbish, one of those things is staying alive, living 80 years, making $80 million, never having a sick day, all the while running through meadows, off course toward a cliff. I count that as rubbish. That kind of success, 80 years, no sick days, $80 million, field of dreams, dead. That's a wasted life. Better to lose your life than to waste it like that. One of the songs we were singing reminded me of Psalm 63, verse three. Your steadfast love, O Lord, is better than life. 
<laughs> That's an amazing statement. Your steadfast love is not designed to keep me alive necessarily. It's better. Better than life. So there's a path that leads to everlasting enjoyment of the love of God. Better to lose your life than go off that path. I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course that I receive from the Lord Jesus and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. Now here's what I wanna do with the time we have together. I want to ask two questions. The one question is, what is it like to have that maxim flying over your life? Better to lose your life than to waste it. What's it like? What does it look like when you, when you live if that's what you really believe? That's my first question. What is it like? I've got five answers to that question that I see in this text. And the last question, very briefly, is why? Why is it better to lose your life than to waste it? So what does it look like and why would you do it? First question, what does it look like? Answer number one. It looks like being mastered by a person and a power that is not your own. It looks like you being overpowered, mastered, controlled by a power and a person not your own. Chapter 20, verse 22. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained, the, the literal translation, bound, like feet are tied, bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. So the Christian who says, better to lose your life than to waste it, means for Jesus' sake, this is true, and I cannot say that in my own power. Anybody in this room that authentically says, for Jesus' sake, better to lose my life than to waste it. Any of you who says that from the heart did not say it in your own power. Now, how do I know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 goes like this. This is the same author, Paul. No one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So, I know something absolutely sure as I look at you. If you say from the heart, it's really you, it's what you really hold to, moves you, grips you, this is you. If you really say, he's Lord of the universe, he's Lord of my life, he's Lord of this university, he's Lord of my future, the Holy Spirit is in you. That's an awesome statement because he's God. I know that to be the case because he said so. 
You can't say that, not from your heart, not mean it, not in any kind of life-changing, authentic way. You can't say it without the Holy Spirit. <coughs> That's a sweet thing to know. Sometimes you, you kids, can I call you kids? I probably shouldn't. Um, sometimes you young adults, you people who were, who were saved when you were six, or don't remember when, and you love Jesus today, feel a little bit odd about that? You know, it is far more important that you interpret your experience from the Bible than from your memory. Far more important. So I don't remember trusting Jesus at six years old. My mama said I did. If you can't even remember it, how can you testify with any kind of bells and whistles? Guess what? I know exactly what happened when I believed, though I can't remember it because I learned it from the Bible, which I think is 10,000 times more important than remembering it. The Bible says little John Piper, by the power of Almighty God at six, according to his mom, said, I need you, please forgive my sins, you are Lord, and a miracle happened. He called me, what are the song lyrics? I ran out of the grave. Now I wondered if the people who wrote that, because the next line said I was buried in shame, and I thought, hmm, you were buried in way more than shame. That's true, that's fine, but I just wanna make sure, come on, whoever wrote that song, bless you, I loved it, I was singing it, you were buried in every way. I mean, you were dead, stone cold dead, a la Bob Dylan. <laughs> Back in his good old days, before he had a Nobel Prize in his hand. I'm losing my place here now. Getting off manuscript, <laughs> gotta be careful. So my first answer to the question, what is it like to live better, to lose your life than to waste it? It's like being mastered by a power not your own. And I get that from verse 22. Second answer to the question. It's like, um, not knowing or being okay, being at rest, being content, not to know what tomorrow will bring. So let's look at verse 22 again. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained in the spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. The unwasted life that looks death in the face and says, you're no threat to me. Better to lose my life than to waste it. That unwasted life talking to death like that does not need to know about tomorrow. <laughs> Who cares? I don't need to know because whatever comes, he's with me, he's for me. Abraham, according to Hebrews 11:8, by faith Abraham, 
obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> when I was preaching through the book of Hebrews at the end of the 90s, I think it was 1997 this happened, I'm preaching through chapter 11. I think it took about four years to get through Hebrews. There was a young seminary student who always sat with his wife and, and kids right over there in the sanctuary. And I knew he was wrestling with whether he should go into missions or pick a pastorate or teach or, or he was wrestling with missions especially. And he told me all this later. He said, the night before the sermon when this happened, I was with, and, and I won't tell you the relative, one of his close relatives, not, not his immediate family, close relatives, and he was saying that they were contemplating Bible translation, maybe in uh, Southeast Asia, and uh, they, they would all move there forever. And this relative said, you're crazy. That is the craziest thing I ever heard. You got two little children, you got a wife, and you're gonna move to some unsafe country in Southeast Asia. That's just crazy. He was very distraught. He didn't, he didn't want to go against anybody's will. And he came to church the next morning, heavy-hearted. And I'm preaching on this text, 11.8. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. And he told me that at one point in the sermon, I looked right at him, like I'm looking at you right there. I'm just looking at him. And I said, he went out not knowing where he's going. That's crazy. I looked right at him. That's crazy. He's, he's in Thailand. He's been in Thailand for 15 years. Whatever, 90, you know, 2017 years. He took that as a word from God. Like, Abraham went out not knowing where he's going. I'm about to go not knowing what's going to happen. And this relative says it's crazy. And Pastor John says it's crazy. And he follows it up with, it's glorious. That's what it is. It's crazy glory. It's the way Jesus was. It's what he calls us to be when we live our unwasted lives. We don't need to know. I mean, I, my guess is you'd like to know what's the semester going to bring? What's this relationship going to bring? What's this marriage going to bring? What's it going to be like to have kids? Guess what? You'll never know till you get there. That's scary. Marriage is scary. That's why it's a covenant that you can't break because it never turns out the way you think it will, ever. <laughs> That's why the disciples said, better not to marry, no back door. <laughs> I mean, you, you laugh, it, that's exactly why they wouldn't marry. There's a lot of people who think divorce is the only reason I would get married. I sign a contract with lots of loopholes in it because this could really turn out bad. I don't like that thinking, but that's another sermon. I have to come back for that one. Okay, number three. Got five answers. This is number three on what it's like. What, what is it like to believe it is better to lose your life than to waste it? Answer number three. It is like being courageous enough not to stop running when the race course leads to suffering. It's, it's like being courageous so that when the race course turns through fire, you don't say, I'm out of here. No, not following him like that. No way. 
So look at verse 23. Not knowing what will happen to me there. So he, he confesses ignorance mainly, but then he adds this. Except, here's one thing I know. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So it's not just that the race course disappears over the hill of the future into an unknown, which it does. Like you don't know what's going to happen at nine o'clock tonight. But it also definitely takes turns through suffering. That's a known that's a known quantity for Christians. That's not unknown. That's why Jesus said, count the cost. You know, if you're going to build a tower, don't build it halfway. And they, oh, I couldn't build it. Guess I'm out of here. Don't, don't do that. Don't go up against an army that you can't defeat. Count the cost. If you can't be a Christian, don't be a Christian. For goodness sake, stop playing games. Get out of here. Don't fool around. Count the cost. So we know that this is part of the price. This is the cost. Here's Acts 14, 22. In all of his churches, Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That was discipleship 101. You lead a discipleship group here with baby believers, you better say right out of the gate, suffering on the way. Because Paul said, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Acts 14, 22. He said to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Not a few, all of you. If there's no blowback in your life, you're hiding godliness. Especially in 21st century, 1917 America. And Jesus said, Matthew 10, 25, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Paul got more specific. I mean, the Holy Spirit got more specific with Paul and said, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. So whether it's imprisonment or whether it's afflictions of another kind, it'll be something. The race course of the Christian life leads through suffering. If you can honestly say with Paul, better to lose my life than to waste it, it will mean being content, not only with uncertainty about the future, but with the certainty that it's going to hurt if you follow Jesus. So better to lose your life than to waste it. Let me say a word specifically to the women among us. Um, my experience of 40 years now of recruiting and shepherding young men and women for radical risk-taking ministry. So I've, this has been a burden of mine. I want to call young men, young women to risk their lives for Jesus. Anywhere, any, I don't know how, I'm going to leave that totally up to you and him. But I'm, that's part of my calling. And I had a dad say to me one time when his son was getting on the plane to go to Uzbekistan, he turned to me at the airport, he said, if he doesn't come back, I will kill you. 
That's what he said. He wasn't laughing. He wasn't joking. If he doesn't come back, it's your fault, and I'll kill you. That's what he said. So that's what my life has been devoted to, trying to get you to make your dad that mad. <laughs> Hopefully not. I mean, I'd like you all to have dads who, who totally would jump up and down, stand on their head that you're obedient to Jesus, but, but not all dads are like that. So I'm, I'm out to get men and women to risk their lives in the cause of Christ and making much of him. And my experience has been that I haven't done a statistical analysis, but as often and probably more often in marriage or in singleness, the woman has been made ready for this challenge before the man. That is, she is pulling at the reins to go, and he's got way questions. Now, I don't say that for the, to puff you women up. I say it for this reason. I want to make sure you, you know you don't get a pass on courage and risk. I say it to direct your attention to Proverbs 31, 25, one of my favorite woman verses. I like women verses because I like certain kinds of women, not other kinds. Sorry. Just test yourself. I mean, it wouldn't matter to you whether I like you or not, but Proverbs 31, 25 says, <laughs> strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. I love that verse. <laughs> Bring it on, future. I laugh at you. Isn't that what that means? She laughs at the time to come. She has no idea what's coming. And those were hard days in 3,000 years ago. They're hard days today too. We just think we have more solutions for all the hard things. Peter said the same thing. Listen to what he said to the women in chapter three, first Peter. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children. If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So you women are a daughter of Sarah, and I could, I could if I wanted to, and I will right now, put in the parenthesis, and you men are sons of Abraham. You women are daughters of Sarah if you do good and don't fear anything that is frightening. So better to lose your life than to waste it means being women and men of courage who don't stop running the race of obedience when it passes through fire and your kids die. Husband dies and the wife gives her life to the people who killed them. Elizabeth Elliot. There are great lives to be lived. They really are. Number four, 
fourth answer to the question, what is it like to say and mean better to lose your life than to waste it? It's like living to make much of the greatness and the glory of the grace of God as your supreme treasure. Like living to make much. My life is about making much with my actions, my words, my music, my computer skills, my acting, my nursing. My life is to make much of the glory of the grace of God. That's why I'm on the planet, to make him look good. Especially his grace by which I live. The only reason I'd ever have happiness forever is because of this grace. I live to make much of this grace. Verse 24, I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. And then here's how he defines the ministry, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I live to testify to grace. I live for one reason, to make grace look as great as it is in Jesus. So we don't all have the same um, ministry form, same form of ministry, but we do all have, I think, the same aim, the same ultimate aim of ministry, namely to magnify the glory and the greatness of the grace of God in Jesus. That's the race course that you're all on. Different, it takes different turns. It has different kinds of afflictions, different kinds of weather, different kinds of ups and downs for everybody. But the, the course is I am aiming with my life, whatever I do, to make much of the greatness and the glory of the grace of God. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 is my favorite go-to place for the ultimacy of this. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's the ultimate meaning of life. God from eternity predestined that a people would be his by adoption through redemption. Why? Unto the praise of the glory of his grace. The ultimate reason why we are all in existence is to make the glory of the grace of God look like it really is in a fallen world. So, what a wasted life is, is a life that, a wasted life is, is a life that leaves that race course and fails to magnify the grace of God. Last answer on this first question. And then this, the last question is very short. Why, what does it look like to say and mean Better to lose your life than to waste it. It means that this spirit-constrained person, this courageous person who's going into the unknown, this suffering-embracing person has the mindset that says, I will not live for the American dream. 
neither as a college student, nor a midlifer, nor a 70-something. I'm not, I'm not going to live for the American dream. I'm going to Jerusalem. So you wonder, now, where, where are you going to get that from the text? Okay, the text written 2,000 years ago says, don't live for the American dream, when there was no America. <laughs> Verse 22, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. But Paul, we say, maybe, how about you're getting old? How about a little cottage on the Aegean Sea? You're already more fruitful in your ministry than most people in five lifetimes. I mean, you've done enough. You've risked your life often enough. You've been in every prison in the Roman world almost. What? It's time to rest, Paul. Let the last 20 years of your life be travel and golf and shuffleboard, putzing around the garage, digging in the garden. Goodness gracious, let Timothy have a chance. <laughs> He's young. Don't go to Jerusalem. Agabus, Agabus, said in the last chapter what's going to happen to you there. They're going to bind your hands and they're going to bind your feet and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles and that means Romans and you don't have any idea what that's going to mean. Don't go to Jerusalem. Dream a better dream. And by all means, don't go to Rome, for goodness sakes. And get that crazy plan out of your head at your age of going to Spain. For goodness sakes, it's just not American, Paul. It's not the American dream of the sunset years. And you may wonder why, we're, we're mainly students in this room, why are you talking to us about sunset years? Because, um, like I said 17 years ago, there are whole industries to the tune of billions of dollars that are designed to prepare you for that and to get you to think about it for the next 60 years so that you will buy it and they will profit from it when you do. Now, don't misunderstand. If you're 52 and you've made a bundle, that's just fine if you want to quit your job. <laughs> it's just fine. Call it retirement if you want. I don't like the word, but you can. I get it. So you quit your job at 52 like Mrs. Punta Gorda did. And uh, I'm just pleading that you don't go collect shells, that you give yourself to something way crazy. Crazy for a 52-year-old, or a 62-year-old, or a 72-year-old. That's what I'm pleading. I, I don't care when you quit your job and call it retirement. That's irrelevant. What matters is what you do with it. <laughs> I was speaking to a group last night about this, and I quoted this wonderful passage from Proverbs. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, 
which shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The Christian life is not moving toward night. It's moving toward noon. There are no sunset years. There's only 11 to noon. Which means that you don't have to scramble to bring heaven into this world, which is the entire mindset of the world that's spending billions of dollars to get you to buy the dream or prepare to buy the dream. They don't believe there's any vacation on the other side of the grave, so you bring it all into this side. You got to. It's your last chance. It's your last chance to get the dream. And you look at him and say, excuse me? Last chance? Noon is the beginning of vacation. It's Friday. <laughs> they don't believe that, and therefore they have to cram it all into this life and play like idiots for the last 20 years of their life, spending time in Phoenix, of all places, getting their leathery, wrinkled skin tanned so that they look ridiculous, like alligator purses. And they wear the clothing to show it. It's just ridiculous. And I'm just pleading with you, you don't need to go there. You don't need to do that. Okay, those are my my five answers to what's it like. One last page and answer. Why is it worth it to do that? Why, why should you take Piper's paraphrase of Acts 20, 24 and wave it over your life from now till, till eternity, better to lose your life than to waste it? And here's, here's my answer. It is better to lose your life than to waste it because when you lose it while not wasting it, you don't lose it, you gain it. Better to lose your life than to waste it because if you lose your life while not wasting it, you don't lose it, you gain it. And I'm sure that calls to mind numerous texts for you. And when you gain it, you gain it crowned, which means the race has been won. Everybody who stays on course and loses his life a third of the way, as you thought it would be, would be or halfway or full way, everybody gets the crown if you're on the track and people die. We just buried a girl at our church last week, 24 years old, out of nowhere, out of nowhere. She's found with heart condition gone. Grew up at our church, Stephanie. There's one other place in all of Paul's writings where this phrase, finishing the course occurs and it sheds light back on this text. Let me read it to you. It's 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, and it goes like this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. There's the phrase. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. 
That's where I got the idea that if, if you lose your life midway through, you win it and you win it crowned. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So better to lose your life than to waste it is because when you lose your life, while not wasting it, you get the crown. You gain your life. You gain your life crowned. Everybody who finishes the unwasted life, whether at 22 or 82, wins, wins the crown. And this crown of righteousness will be put on your head by the King of Kings. These are breathtaking realities. You will share his righteousness, you will share his rule, you will share his glory. This slight momentary affliction on this route, this race, this ministry, this slight momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You're going to look back someday if you don't waste your life after a thousand temptations and you're going to be so glad so thankful that you lost your life instead of wasting it. So let me sum it up in one minute. If the mindset that says better to lose your life than to waste it means being under the control of a power not your own, namely the Holy Spirit, being courageous in the face of the unknown, which is coming, we don't know what's coming, unknown is coming, Overcoming the fear of the course that runs through suffering. Living to make much of the glory of the grace of God as your supreme treasure. And putting the pedal to the metal in ministry between 60 and 80. And living in sync with that dream between 20 and 60. Age 20 and 60. And if losing your life while not wasting it means you don't lose it, but you gain it, crowned, then my obvious plea to you is don't waste your life. Because it's better to lose it than to waste it. Let's pray. We end where we begin, Lord, that the Holy Spirit is the power that enables us to say Jesus is Lord, and therefore the Holy Spirit is the power that enables us to say better to lose my life than to waste it. I pray that these students will walk out of here, and, and, the, and the older folks will walk out of here tonight saying, okay, I'm persuaded. Not sure what it means, particularly, but I am not going to waste my life. Absolutely will not waste it. I pray that will be the resolve of every person in here for the glory of Jesus Christ. In whose name I pray, amen.